Welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under, and we are back again to discuss one of Fulham's most famous victories in recent years, a 2-1 win over Man United at Old Trafford. What a night it was. Here to talk it all through, we've got, as always, Elton. How are we going? I'm very, very well, and I've just been enjoying, uh, yeah, just Dining out on that that uh, win on Saturday uh, beautifully over the last couple of days, and what a difference a big win makes. Uh, and th- this is a, a win for the ages. Basking in it, I think, is what what you were looking for. And Sammy, how are you going? I am so good. I've been able to rub this win in so many of my friends faces it's been so wonderful we only we only get these moments very very fleetingly and then when we get them they are so sweet they are pulled pork tender i'm so happy right now i'm so stoked i've been waiting for this in particular particularly this win for so long to do it at old trafford as well as just next level ah, i'm so happy i'm so i'm excited to get into this yeah it's funny you say that it is I mean, it's almost once in a lifetime for a lot of people up until, you know, that game uh, at Old Trafford 21 years ago. I remember being at boarding school and having a picture of that on my wall because it was such a momentous moment because Fulham don't win at Old Trafford. I think the, the, the time before that was 1963. And so there are a generation of fans. Imagine you were born in the 40s. You saw a win at Old Trafford when you were 20 and didn't see another one again until you're... 70 odd it's it's kind of mm. crazy to think that it's that far in between victories at old trafford but it it has been a bit of a bogey place for us the last few years and man united have been this annoying side who we keep coming up against we always play really well against them the last few years but we just never seem to get a result um dad i know your your um pocket is a little bit heavier after this game because you were pretty confident um did it feel like this was a moment where Fulham could potentially finally break that duck and, and get that win at Old Trafford? Uh, I don't know that any Fulham supporter can truly be that confident about um, what as, is actually going to happen. So I, I'm never going to say um, that I utterly knew we were going to win. But I did uh, chase a few uh, cheeky odds and... Um, uh, it came out very well. I'm very happy for the um, the uh, Jack's betting segment to be back on because now suddenly I, I have some leadership in my life. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, you know, look, as you say, we we always play really well uh, against these big teams. It's just something about us, and that's a really difficult place to play. And um, you know, we utterly cooked it last time in that cup game with Mitro and we were doing well until we we lost our minds um but this I know we beat we beat Arsenal at home a few months ago and that was pretty sweet because you know they were on top or near the top when we beat them and that was an incredible achievement but this feels so much more satisfying for so many reasons Mm. It's so this so this game for me, right? 
and 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 call me a a a a narrative tart whatever you want but it's one of those games right that i was really really dreading and then from the first 10 15 minutes there, there was there was just so much like there was just so much story in the sense that you have um the returning nigerian players who have had such a good afcon and are running off such a high they were like iwobi and bassi were amazing but then you have that coupled with the loss of polina and then you have harrison reed and sasa lukic stepping up so much with so much to prove i mean and just across the park it was just such a great game in terms of like this is why like this is why we love our club because there is just it was just—I mean, I could make a movie out of it. Like, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful story, culminating in just uh, a, such a well-deserved win. Um, and like uh, to, earlier in the season, when um, we lost the way that we did, for it to come back around like this, it was just so perfect. It was just such a perfect game. I'm so happy. Like, it's just a, okay. such a perfect story. Okay. No, shut up. A, Let me have it. You're a narrative top. Yeah, I don't care, and I love it. And this is why we love football. It's ugh, you can't write it. Well, let's let's take it back to the start. I mean, there's there's a lot to discuss in this game, and you mentioned a few players already. But big thing here, we we lost Willian through injury. We had Polina out. Um, the returning Nigerian players, six changes to Marco Silva's side. Um, not something that we usually deal well with. I'd say is a, is a number of changes. We often see Silva tinker a little bit and make one or two here and there. But really, over the last few weeks, it's been a very stable side. Uh, we haven't seen that many changes. So to go into a game making six changes, including changing your your central two defenders, your central two midfielders as well, would, would usually have a big sort of negative effect on a side. But, Dad, how did you think, I guess, Tosin and Bassey actually handled being thrown into the deep end, having not started together for some time? Well, I think I can't remember who the manager was. It it may have been Ten Hag, or it could have been someone else who who commented recently that um, you know at at this level you take two good players out of any side, not just a Fulham, but any side, it makes a very big difference. And I think Man City is probably the only exception to that who have such an enormous amount of world-class players that it probably doesn't make a difference to their chances of success. But look, the other the other thing about this is Fulham or Silver seems to be developing a bit of a knack for getting players who 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 really are under massive pressure to perform. And, you know, take Sasa Lukic, for example, and before him, um, uh, Munez, and before him, Jimenez, uh, pe- people that the majority of us had kind of written off. And I have to put my hand up and say that Sasa Lukic, um, I-, I really thought that he just wasn't going to work out for Fulham. And I, th- I thought he'd be gone. At the end of this, at the end of this year, 
that's that's got to be the best outing that Sasalukic has has had all year. Mm. And I thought he was well, by far, yeah. <clears throat> I thought he was tremendous. Actually, it was just like a different different man. His mm. confidence, the way he carried the ball, like really aggressive runs. I've just never seen it so direct, and um, it was actually joyous to watch. Really joyous. I mean, Harrison Reed had a really good game, but um, I think Harrison Reed is an incredibly consistent performer for us, and we know what we're going to get, give or take, when when he's on the pitch. Um, I thought the two of those guys accounted for the loss of Polinia, you know, in, in in a brilliant way, really. We, we couldn't have expected any more. It, it's a different style of um, midfield and defensive midfield. But I thought they did a really, really good job. Um, what was the question again? Mm. Yeah, that was the question. Um <clears throat> About about the number of changes we made, but oh, sorry. Um, no, go on, go again. On, well, sorry, but just to that, uh, incredible, really, to actually make that many changes and it to come off, really incredible. Oh, sorry, I my think... inter- my internet cut out. <laughs> oh, well, good. I think Sasalukic. I, I agree. He easily had his best game in a Fulham shirt. I, I know he, he's been a maybe a slightly divisive figure for Fulham because often when he comes off the bench he looks all at sea and I think he often gets thrown into tough situations where you have to come on and influence a game in a short period of time maybe play slightly out of position as well because he's been thrown on in place of like a Tom Kearney um, and and you have to all of a sudden be the creative outlet comes on for Polina and you have to be flying around and making tackles and I, I don't think he fits either of those molds really he's He's a good player, and he proved it here. He was very calm and collected on the ball, did defensive work really well. I, I thought he played superbly. And, look, there's a number of players in this Fulham team who could have easily been given man of the match here. Sasa Lukic, for me, is right up there. I, I think mm. he had a superb game. Yeah. Also, as well, Harrison. Yeah, so, yeah. I was just going to say as well, um, I've always been a massive fan of Sasa Lukic, so that wasn't really in question for me. I'm actually just really happy um, everyone has more or less seen what I've seen because I've always just seen that potential there a little bit. But I do want to shout out Harrison Reed because I really felt that Harrison Reed went to war for Fulham uh, the other night, and he was he was so intense all game. And it's I mean we've said it a couple of times before, but no one can ever question his effort that he puts in. I, 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 I'll, I'll put my hand up and say that I've kind of fallen a little bit out of favor with um, Harrison Reed in the sense that I just don't really know um, what his future is at the club and how, how long he's going to still stay with us. But oh, you just, you just forget, you just forget that he, he's just relentless, isn't he? And he, he really, he really reminded me of that last night. Well, he's he's a similar player category wise to uh, Bobby Decadova Reed for me in that mm. you you might you might want to question his quality in terms of world class, but that's a brave move to strike a red line through his name in the squad because I think those guys are um, they're flexible, they're incredibly hardworking, they. They can stick to a plan. Uh, 
but um, he he was great. He was really good last night. But I, also back to Sasset Lukic, it obviously there's been a a, a big sort of uh, I want to say delta, but that's a bit of a techie term. There's a massive mismatch between what he was doing in the Italian league and what he's done in the Premier League. So everyone knows he's a good player. And it's sort of been that question of whether he suits the Premier League or what. what is it that is stopping him from delivering the kind of significance uh, to, to Fulham. And I'm just wondering whether it's confidence and whether it's an absolute belief because something revved him up. Maybe you should say, Jack. And and you're right, Jack. Look, some people, some people, really struggle in being that impact player off the bench. I, I would hate it personally. I would hate it. And mm -hmm. there's some some players that can do it pretty well, but it's the hardest thing to do to not build into a game, not have the time to build into the game, and you've suddenly got to fill a role, and it may not be your ideal. I think that's the key to it is the fact that he's constantly been putting into someone else's role and therefore mm. being asked to do something that he's not overly comfortable doing. And again, you, you kind of look at players and hope that they can do multiple jobs, but really the only person who can do that at Fulham is Bobby Decadova reed at the moment. Um, I, I think Sasalukic has a very particular play style, and if you put him out there and build the team around him, not as in he's the central player and we build everything around you, but, but if you set up the system to suit Sasalukic, it actually worked quite well. He stepped forward, he made quite a good number of sort of intercept tackles that started breakaways just by playing a little bit further upfield than we'd usually see Polina doing as well um, and, and still added a bit of creativity here and there. I, I think he had a great game. And to Harrison Reed, I agree as well. And a really solid game from Reed. He... He's someone that I like, and I, I I know you sort of lumped him in with Deckard over Reed there, but I think Reed is a little bit more pigeonholed in the fact that he is one kind of player. You couldn't put him all over the place on, on the football field. You put him in the defensive role where his job is to hassle and harry and take hits like he did with Casemiro. And, I mean, he got Casemiro effectively taken out of the game through an injury because he's got in so hard on him. Um, and that's kind of what you ask for from someone like Harrison Reed. I always think of him, he's like a little bulldog or more, more like a yappy, annoying little terrier who's just running around and biting your ankles constantly. And that's mm. what you want from Harrison Reed. And, and I think benefit to Marco Silva here, he made changes and, and put a tactic together for this game to suit those players who he had at his, at his disposal. I think maybe it's a very different game if we did have Willian and Polina available because maybe we play in a different style and actually that style is a, a little bit more readable by Man United and they they sort of come expecting that. Mm. But at the end of the day, we come with so many changes that, man, you don't really know what to expect and, and can't actually play against us. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. Can we please Let's... talk about the boys, the Nigerian boys, though? Because I, like, I want to give props to them well, so let's, badly. Let's actually talk about the game rather than just talk about how great every player was because that's that's a given. We'll definitely get to that. So let's talk about, Sammy, you were talking about the first 15 minutes or so. In fact, if you watch back a, a highlights package of this game, even an extended highlights package of this game, Man United don't have a shot until the 30th minute 
when Dello shoots from 30-odd yards out, hits the base of the post, it's never really in any danger of going in. It's a bit of a pot shot. It was all Fulham before that. Alex Awobi missed a couple of chances. Muniz had a header on goal that almost got bundled in by Lukic. Muniz had that great turn and shot that hit the post. It was just total domination. And if you've never seen football, Pereira had a couple of shots. Yeah, he had the one tipped away by Anana. Um, if you'd never watched a game of football before and this was the first game you sat down in front of and you didn't know anything about any of the teams, but you said one of these teams has won multiple Premier League and European titles and the other one has been up and down from the championship over the last six years, I'd say you'd say the team in white are the best team here. And across the, the whole afternoon, that was the case. Dad, were you surprised by our domination throughout the start of this game? Uh, was I surprised? Um, I wasn't surprised at what I saw from Mooney's. I thought he's simply picked up from where he left off last week and, and, and in previous weeks. I thought once again he was just an absolute ball of energy. And that that opportunity when he turned his man and had a shot and got it was that was of the highest class. And he was unlucky, really unlucky, uh, to 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 not get that in the top corner. And it would have been an incredibly outstanding goal. But, uh, yeah, again, it comes down to preparation, to psychological preparation. I think we've got such a lot to prove against this Manchester United side, against the fans, against Old Trafford, maybe against the FA um, and the whole setup. Uh, we come to Old Trafford as underdogs, and I think that, serves us really well and I think Marco prepares us really really well for those scenarios so I wasn't surprised that we came out and did the job that we did I I have to say that if the game ended at halftime you you'd kind of have your head in your hands and be thinking geez Wobie's missed a couple of really good opportunities and scuffed them Mm -hmm. very wide and they were pretty ordinary finishes. And <clears throat> one of Pereira's first shot on goal was on target, but directly to the keeper from a long way out. It was really pretty tame. His second shot was very, very good. Um, he, he nearly curled it in, and it was a good, took a very good save from Anana to to parry that wide. But, you know, it was all, it was all Fulham. And if you wanted to be balanced about it, we we weren't that great in executing um, the opportunities that we created, really, to be fair. Yeah, no, I think that is fair. Sammy, your, your thoughts, I know you mentioned it earlier, but your thoughts on the, the opening half hour from Fulham and how we sort of came out of the traps and just really positive attacking play. Look, it... I, I have been lulled into a bit of uh, a, a negative thinking pattern whenever we play Man United because the last couple of times we've played Man United, I thought we've actually played excellently for large portions of the game and um, most notably against... Uh, <laughs> sorry, against against Mitrovic. Um, most notably um, with Mitrovic's breakdown, that was our game that we just threw away. And then most recently we played an excellent 90 minutes and then just basically lost it at, um, 
at the knife end. So um, I wasn't necessarily comfortable, but the entire first half, I was like, this is a game. This is a serious, serious game, and we are fully, fully in it. Um, my my biggest stress was kind of more in the second half because <laughs> I just wanted to hold on to like what we had. Um, but yeah, it, it was just... It, not that it felt like a dogfight, but I feel that when you go to Man United, even if um, Man United aren't playing well, you play against Old Trafford. It's a very, very, very intense place to go. Even when Man United are poor, it's still Man United. And there is a mental thing when you play those big teams because, and, and I think I feel that we've really suffered from that the past couple of times we've played against them. It's been so hard for us to break through that and then not lose it at the end so we really really held our own um but i i still <laughs> i'm still concerned but I, I, it's weird isn't it because i was proud of the guys because i was like we are in a dogfight right now and we're crushing it but i just i just wanted to like hold on and um yeah the, the day just kind of just got better from there i guess but I, I don't think it's weird at all i was gonna say um We'll get onto it towards the end, but when that Man United goal went in in the 89th minute, I remember just thinking to myself, oh, okay, it's one of those days. It's one of those games where it all looks like we're going to to walk mm, away yeah. with, you know, all three points and we're going to be happy as Larry and all of a sudden it's just all gone to shit. And I genuinely, after they scored that goal, I thought, right, when when are they going to score their second goal? Because um, I, I always yeah, felt like it too. was coming. It was on the edge, but... Um, yeah, it, it wasn't to be. So, I mean, a couple of flashpoints that I want to talk about. We talked about a handful of the chances, but one of the biggest points in the first half, Harry Maguire. Now, there, there's a couple of incidents here. First off, there's um, the, the late challenge. I think it's on Pereira, who just nips the ball around the corner, um, and we ended up having a, a shot on goal that Awobi puts wide. But Harry Maguire comes in extremely late and takes out Pereira from behind. I think if the ref hadn't played advantage there, Maguire probably picks up a yellow card. And I watched the replay again, and the ref seems to go back over to Maguire to to look like he's going to show him a yellow, but just doesn't at that point. Um, about five or six minutes later, Maguire then goes in fairly high on Sasalukic. It's it's sort of on top of the boot slash on the ankle. And I think the biggest thing here is we've seen those given as red cards multiple times this season. The fact that he gets away with the yellow and VAR check it and don't overturn it was a little bit surprising for me when you watch it back. All the pundits watching it um, and all the commentary on it online and everywhere was that it, it was 100% a red card. Dad and Sam, did you have any other thoughts on that? Did you think it was definitely a red? Well, you heard my thoughts um, in, in, mm -hmm. in your in your left ear. Um, mm -hmm. Again, <clears throat> excuse me. Again, I, I can forgive the ref in the moment, although I thought he had a pretty good look at it. And I think from 15 yards with one eye, I think I could have made a better call on that. That's fine in the moment. But what I do not understand is how VAR looks at that and mm. doesn't decide that that's a clear and obvious error. Well, what is, what's the threshold here? If you have studs up or not, if you crunch a guy in a heavy tackle on his ankle, why isn't that uh, a red card? 
And he, he hit him pretty hard. I, I was amazed at Sasalukic that he was actually able to get up and continue. I, I genuinely was. I thought he'd really hurt him. And um, I, I was astonished, astounded uh, that he, he, he wasn't given more than a yellow card for that, notwithstanding the uh, fact I mean, that he, he got away with uh, one earlier. It looked like it hurt because, geez, he went in hard. And like I said, it, it wasn't, you know, high up the shin or anything. And I think at that point, you'd it, it would we'd be sort of hand over fist going, why on earth isn't that a red card? And I, I agree, you can't really get on top of the referee too much. They, they don't always have the best angle to see a challenge like that. You look at it from a couple of different angles and it's hard to see it. But the the open angle that you see on the broadcast makes it so obvious that he's come in on his ankle and hard. He's out of control when he's making that challenge. He's lunging. It just screams a red card for me. And uh, Sammy, do you have any thoughts as to why that wasn't given a red? Is there any reason? I mean, oh, we, we, go ahead, we, go ahead and be as cynical VAR as you discussion? like. Yeah. I, to be fair, like I'm not, uh, I'm almost You're at a point no. where, well, it's just, there's, I'm just, maybe I'm just kind of just so accustomed to this bias now. Like, um, <laughs> it's, it's almost getting to the point where I just become quite disillusioned by it because when, I, if we were playing, say, Wolves, I think it's a clear and obvious red card. But when you're playing Man United or like when you're playing Man City or when you're playing Liverpool or Chelsea or whatever, there is this annoying discourse, and then the second it kind of becomes discourse, my brain just kind of goes to, well, it's just going to get given. Oh, sorry, it's not It's not going to get given. It's just going to be left open there. And it's Harry Maguire. Everyone knows he's clumsy as fuck, and he's really, like, big and bolstery. And I think it's almost like referees would potentially have a bias of just kind of like, well, that's just how Harry Maguire plays in the same way that... Um, uh, they have a bias to maybe towards um, Paulinho for being way more intense than every other player, if we're going to be fair about it. Look, it's bullshit. It's, um, uh, the, it's the annoying politics of football, which is arguably ruining the game. Um, I feel like I've almost made my peace with it. Uh, Look, we got we got we got two one against Man United. I'm not going to care that much to be because if okay, if we had lost, yeah, I would fair, probably fair care point. more than I care now. But I'm I'm, I'm it's, pretty happy it's to leave it. <laughs> it. It's true, but uh, unfortunately, that's that's the problem with it is if it doesn't affect you, it's kind of annoying. But even if that was a draw, I mean, Harry Maguire is the person who oh, if it was a draw, I'd be raging. Creates, <laughs> he creates the goal for himself because um, hmm. he's the one who holds the ball up out wide and then puts the cross in that Fernandez picks up and then Fernandez takes a shot and Harry Maguire finishes it like he's he's the reason for their their equalizer um uh, yeah, i i just point. It, it's point. it's frustrating because i think if Harry Maguire gets sent off there we probably walk in 3-0 in this game um because man you look like they just didn't have any answers to us across the park um and if it was 10 against 11 I think this is actually a much, much easier win for Fulham than it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just just my final point on it, it's annoying and frustrating, but it's just not surprising. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of my yeah, of take on it. I'm just not surprised by this anymore. 
Yep. Big six bias is, is a real thing. As much as people say that it's not, it, it really is. Uh, and unfortunately, there's so much evidence to back it up. It's ridiculous. Um, mm. But look, Fulham did hold on till halftime, nil-nil. Dad, at halftime, what were your thoughts? Did you think this was a game that Fulham could go on and win? Or did you just feel like it was, okay, we've made it to halftime here. Can we now maybe just solidify, make sure we don't give this away? Or should we be pushing on for the win? In my head, it was a case of can we tighten this up and actually start executing properly? I, I wasn't concerned about all the Man United opportunities that suddenly might be converted in the second half. I was thinking more in terms of can we improve on all the opportunities we're creating? Because I, I looked at the only guy that kind of scared me when he got the ball out wide was Garnacho. He he looked good, um, mm, yeah. but but he 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 looked like he had to do it on his own. There there wasn't a lot of mm. link up play around him, and so I think his his net effectiveness was sort of undermined. Rashford, mm. unsighted, he, he literally didn't touch the ball. Yeah, I, very I'm astonished. Off. I'm astonished at how mm. off he is. Uh, obviously, you know. Um, the the the, the guy has been scoring all their goals was sitting up in the <clears throat> in the dugout, but um, that that doesn't mean that Bruno Fernandez couldn't score some sort of brilliant goal or put in some incredible cross or corner and causes problems. So they, they've always got it in the Man United at Old Trafford, and you know look at look at what happens when they score. And the crowd goes absolutely nuts. It's a very intimidating environment to play football in when mm. we've got, mm. you know, I don't know how many fans, traveling fans we had, what, a couple of thousand up in the top yeah, corner? Yeah, about 3,000, I think it was. 3,000. 3, and, and they were going nuts, but certainly through a set of broadcast microphones, you couldn't really hear them. And mm. every time, mm. every time Man United did something, for example, score the equaliser, crowd goes nuts, and so you're always under threat of just a magical moment of them nicking a goal early in the second half, and suddenly we're chasing the game, and that would that would have been an awful outcome. But mm. as mm. as it was, uh, you know, we we strike first, and I think. Having scored first after half time, um, particularly being one of the Afcon boys, I think I think it it really lifts the side. I think who scores there is actually really important for me. I mean, if Mooney scores, probably great great as well. Uh, but if you look at this, the goal celebration, every single Fulham player was delighted for Kelvin Bassey to score that goal. Even Mooney's was, was about, going nuts. I was about to say we haven't we haven't we haven't discussed any of the goals yet. We haven't discussed we haven't discussed our boys. Us, that's all happening in the second half. Sam, all happening in the second half. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. That we should lead with that. We should lead with the pride. <laughs> and that's why right, right, your game always starts with the second half and ends with the first half. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, look, totally. let's get onto it now. The the first goal. Now it it there's a bit of fortune here in a couple of ways because 
the the I remember actually Ted the ball goes out wide Harrison Reed picks it up and um he puts in a I, I can't we were talking about something at the time and I can't remember you saying I think you said you're excited to see Harrison Reed cross the ball or said something like Harrison Reed's a good crosser of the ball and he picks the ball up puts a cross no, in I never and, I never said that that's just to he said that on record he said something it was nah, I didn't say that um <laughs> you you, you had your pipe in <laughs> Harrison Reed. He said something. On the box. And Harrison Reed puts the ball into the box and it almost loops into the back of the net because it's such a bad cross. Anana has to tip the ball out of play. Um, and we, we get the corner. And from the resulting corner, the ball's played into the box. Uh, Calvin Bassey swings his right foot at it terribly, gets horrible contact, ends up straight into Castagna, who fortunately has been awarded the assist for that goal. The ball bounces off Castagna's stomach, falls at, um, at Bassi's feet, and Bassi absolutely lashes the ball into the roof of the net. It's straight over the top of Anana's head, but there's nothing he can do about it from that far out. And Sammy, okay, now's your chance. Talk to me about how great Calvin Bassi is. Calvin Bassi is also, as well, he had such a good AFCON. I was so proud of both him and Awobi at AFCON. I thought they did amazing. Um, he's really cemented himself as an international talent for me. Um, went all the way to the final and, um, yeah, whatever. Anyway, he's so good. And I, it's, it's still, I feel like Silva deserves credit for just, Finding mm. these random rough diamonds, or maybe people who are just like a little bit um, down in their careers, and he just sees something. I'm not sure if he sees it or if he's just like a master manipulator, a master puppet master. No, but that's he, he is it. so good right now. I mean, there's no dispute. Yeah, he probably does. He probably does. He has like a third eye. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but like he. Him, like Bassi and Tosin, are just such a. There's no question they are the best centre back pairing that we have, but just Bassi in particular. Like, I just want to hold on to Bassi for as long as physically possible, because he's just got so much. He, he, there's so much talent there, and he's so. I love. I love calling him bombastic because he is. He's got. He's got a shot on him. He's so intense. Um, I just love him. I just absolutely love him. I mean, I in like five years time, he's probably destined for like a really huge move where he can potentially go on to like do like Champions League stuff. And he bloody deserves it because even if Fulham is just like a stepping stone for a much bigger, deeper career, it's just so lovely just to see the beginnings of such a wonderful player. I love Calvin Bassey. I'm glad you... Thank you for that, Sam. Uh, I, I I like the fact that you credited or recredited Marco for that because it has to be said, it has to be said that uh, no one was overwhelmed at the small handful of signings. But boy, what a job he's done with them! And I don't I don't mm -hmm. think it's only his mastery on the training ground to to get the best out of these guys. I, I think he's amazing at picking. The, the players that bigger clubs overlook and <clears throat> understanding that, you know, he can get something out of them, something special out of them. Uh, yeah, give him the armband. Uh, surely that's uh, that's one way to keep him at Fulham for a while. Ooh. 
Well, it's it's an interesting little point you make about Marcus Silva picking these players. And if we look at the players that Fulham signed, I know no one was overly happy with the transfers this season, but if we look at who was bought in and, and sort of look at how they fit into the squad and, and how they've sort of upgraded where we were previously, um, admittedly we lost Mitro and we haven't fully replaced him, but we did bring in Jimenez who, until he got injured, had sort of come into some decent form and looked like a decent signing, especially for the fact that it was uh, such a tiny fee. Calvin Bassey would be an upgrade on Tim Ream, for sure. Um, Adama mm. Traore, call that an upgrade on Dan James from last year. Um, yeah. Well, Dan, well, you prefer Dan James, Dad? Oh, I love Dan James. I know you do. Okay, fine. Traore is <laughs> not as good as Dan James. Um <laughs> Alex Awobi, um, for him an, an upgrade, I guess, on someone like Neeskins from last season. Yeah. Um, uh, or Cavalera Knockout. Yeah. And, and then Castagna, you'd call an upgrade on, I mean, we didn't really have a backup right back last year. And Babu really was our right back last year. So yeah. if you look at mm. the, the transfers that we've made in replacing players who were sort of part of the squad slash the first team, we actually have taken a step forwards. It's just not as big a step as we kind of wished we had taken. But really, they're all very good signings for quite a small outlay at the end of the day. So you can't really mm. be too disappointed with the transfers that we've made when you look at it like that and see that we've we have made an upgrade. And, and he's picked players like Calvin Bassey. You know, he'd gone to Ajax off the back of a, a great spell in Scotland. It just didn't work out for him. Traore wasn't getting into the Wolves side. Admittedly, he's only played a handful of games, but you can see the difference he can make. I don't know if you've seen the little one and a half minute package from the game against Man United of Traore by just Traore. But the amount of times he picked up the ball and sort of cut inside and just using his pace basically runs from one side of the pitch to the other and no one can keep up with him. Mm. Um, you know, Castagna um, has ended up being our starting right back. Iwobi's starting every game when he's available. They're good signings at the end of the day. And these are look, guys who weren't thought of as, as starting players at their clubs. Jack, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the only exception to that has to be on any kind of analysis has to be the lack of a signing of a a, 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 a really capable striker because 100%. We, you know I, I i love what's happened to rahul uh, i i'm i'm sorry for him that he's got injured then mooney's steps up and he's doing really well and it's exciting in a very contained way but no one's of the opinion that we've suddenly solved the 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 problem of how we become a, a, a top half club consistently based around one key striker. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I, because... I love Muniz, but he's mm. he's not realistically going to be our answer as the starting striker for next season because he's no. he's just not fully ready yeah. yet. And I'd like to see him in a, a see us actually build a team around you know, strengthen the rest of the squad so that when Muniz does come off the bench or, or rotates into the side, he ha he has no pressure to be having to carry the yeah. whole team on his shoulders. A absolutely. And he's got almost like nothing to prove. He's learning. Everyone's yeah. now seen what he can do. And there's, there's, there's absolutely no question for, I mean, Rahul's different because 
he did it, major injury. Could he come back? Yes, no. Uh, you know, that he's had a little purple patch, so it seems like it's back in him. But those guys would be incredible backups for a high-quality striker because they'd have, mm-hmm. like you say, a lot less pressure on them because they, they've started to do it. So, it's... yeah, go, Sam. I mean, off off the back of a game like this, where it, re- it, re- it really kind of felt that... Um, an entirely fresh side um, and a very, very rejuvenated new side, really kind of just the stars aligning. It will continually fascinate me just to see what Silver could actually do with a full budget and just infinite flexibility and the same kind of creative control that somebody like Klopp has. I mean, I know we'll probably never see it, but... Mm, We might uh, see it with another owner. We might see it with a different owner. Yeah, with another owner, maybe, but that's a really, really big call. Uh, I don't, I, I just don't think Fulham will ever be that sort of club, or maybe I, I, uh, it's really, I well, just can't necessarily see it. But, the, the problem yeah. would be, even if we had a new owner with deep pockets, FFP is going to be a handbrake on that. Exactly. So you, it's just kind of something that you just can't necessarily hypothesize about too much. But he's clearly proven that he's one of a rare breed of managers that just just gets something that we just don't. And I'd say 90% of people just don't. Don't get me wrong. Silva's crazy. He's a crazy, crazy, angry Portuguese man. But he really, really gets football management in a way that's truly truly remarkable he's a he's a he's a very very visionary manager and i i hope i hope in 10 years time he gets that credit that he genuinely does yeah look i i think silver has done a great job managing this team and i think he it's not been an easy job by by any chance um he's hasn't been backed financially as much as we would all like him to have been backed but i think there's uh, you know, one more chance window to come. I agree with the FFP being a bit of an issue. That might have been a reason for holding back. The Metro money falls into the next FFP um, window, if you will. So we we should have a, a, a bit of leeway to make some signings. I, I saw somewhere that there was a calculation saying we could make over £100 million worth of signings this summer. Um Maybe this is the time where Silver has proven I can keep this team in the Premier League for multiple seasons. Um, and look, if we lose Polina for another fifty million, let's say, and that falls into um, the same window, we have uh, over a hundred million that we need to spend, uh, and we have to mm. actually invest that in the team. Otherwise, we'll go backwards and we'll get relegated. It's as simple as that. You can't lose your two mm. best and most influential players in two two adjoining years and expect to to stay up in the league unless you actually replace them. You saw it with Leicester. They didn't replace Kante and Mares. They still had Jamie Vardy, who's a great player, but it's not enough to keep a team up. You need to actually continually mm. replace those key players with other key players. Otherwise, you fall in a heap. Simple as that, really. Mm. It's a scary reminder of... How how thin the wafer is between where we are and where we could be, whilst Tony plays wrestling. 
No, hundred percent. Oh yeah, but I'm relishing in it. I'm relishing in this moment, these moments right now, because honestly, three years time, no idea. Yeah. Absolutely well, well, no uh, idea. Yeah, reckon next season, we we're don't good. know where we're going to be. For now, this is a wonderful, wonderful day. Sure. Um. So, let's talk about the equaliser for Man United. Uh, we sort of touched on it very briefly before, but Harry Maguire scores the goal. I'd say we're fractionally unlucky here. Maguire doesn't try at all to get back on side after putting this cross in the box. He's kept on side by the fact that Calvin Bassey has spread his legs so wide um, <laughs> and, and Bassey steps up to try and play the offside trap. He's just a fraction too late. And unfortunately, his foot being you know, as far wide as possible and inside the six-yard box effectively plays two players on side. If he had just stepped up a fraction of a second earlier and, and pulled that foot back, and if you watch it in real time, he, that's what he's trying to do. Um, both Maguire and I think it's it could be McTominay gets in front of the shot and tries to get a boot on it. Both of those it players get called offside and that goal is disallowed. And look, Sammy, your thoughts, that goal goes in in the 89th minute. That must have, you know, tipped you over the edge for sure. I know how, how much you hate playing Man United and choking against them. That one must have been pretty bitter pill to swallow. Uh, well, but you did touch on it before. It it just felt very, well, this is just what the game's going to be. So, and, and I think Dad actually, I think Dad actually said something as well, um, uh, something to the effect of the second half, I didn't think, we're going to win. I thought, can we win? Because <laughs> um, that's what was kind of constantly going through because you only need, because uh, uh, I mean, Man United um, fans have been bitching all week that we have injuries. It's not the full squad. We're ownership, all this crap. But at the end of the day, it is Man United. It will always still be Man United at Old Trafford. And they only need two seconds and they have incredible players. Even their young players, they are... <laughs> crafted to only need a split second to just ruin you. So it felt very Fulham versus Man United. So again, it like there was a lot of anxiety and it, then it just deflated in that moment. But I've been there before, but I was not expecting the things that followed after that. And then that, that put me in full euphoria. It's just an, it's just, it, at that moment, just going back to your original point, it just felt like a very, it just felt so familiar. And so for the guys to just overcome that is just, oh, it's just beautiful, isn't it? It's just breaking through a glass ceiling that I just, that's been there for so long. Anyway, you guys say more things. Yeah. Um, look, honestly, honestly, if I'm going to be um, harsh but fair, for a, for a experienced world class defender, not not getting caught or, or or yeah, like not being mentally switched on to that right foot of Calvin Bassey's being spread so far is kind of meat and drink. He shouldn't be doing that, and it's I, I know it's split second. I'm being harsh, but we we shouldn't kind of be giving that away. Um, the second thing I would say is that uh, could Leno have done better? Um, you know, it's probably yeah. It 
I, I know there's an argument that says he's a little bit blindsided by, is it McTominay potentially there? That's possibly in the way of the shot, so he doesn't see it that well. But it doesn't look like he's uh, he's seen it late. It just looks like he doesn't parry it completely clear of the goal. And he does just pop it into the six-yard box um, for, for Maguire to make a pretty easy finish. Um, go on. What I will say to that is I, I agree potentially could have done better, but it was absolutely belting down. The The pitch was very slippery, and I, I don't think you're going to be able to get a full hand on that. And And having been a goalkeeper myself, I know that your gloves get wet, you try and palm a ball away further than you know, further than he did, and you can't get any grip on it at all. So uh, I agree, he probably should have done a little better. And there's there's a few people out there in the sort of Fulham community saying that Leno has actually been making quite a lot of mistakes. So in the last sort of th- few weeks or so, and and I agree. Look, Leno hasn't been perfect by any means, and I think we hold him to extremely lofty standards, and he hasn't met those standards recently. Um, but I, I would oh. not yeah, go no, as far I'm, I'm... as saying that this is a mistake. I'd say he could have done better, yep. but the the conditions weren't ideal, and therefore what he tried to do, I think, was the right thing. But because of the slipperiness of the ball, the slipperiness of his gloves, the the ball just he couldn't actually get enough purchase on it to get it away, especially when it's close to your body like that. It was sort of in at sort of chest level. It's hard to actually push that ball away from chest level. When it's a full stretch dive, you can actually get a very solid fist on it and get the ball away. But where he, he was and how he had to save that, tough to catch when it's that wet and you don't want to try and catch it and let the ball slip through your hands. Um, and look, I, I think he probably didn't realise Maguire was there because Maguire sort of ran off the back of the pitch when he put that cross in. Um, that went over the top of Leno's head. Fernandez picks the ball up, and so Leno's eyes have gone to the other side of the pitch completely. Maguire's basically behind him on the on the touchline and just drifts back into play. He probably doesn't expect anyone to be there. Mm. Yeah, look, um, mm. I, I'm not piling into uh, Leno out mode yeah. at all. I think, I think he's had a couple of difficult days at the office, genuinely, mm-hmm. but overall... He gets a pay rise and he gets a, a great annual review from me. But, uh, you know, I'm just sort of trying to be um, uh, yeah, critical of, of what's happened there. I'm trying to understand why he doesn't do a little bit better because he does yeah, it, it does make it pretty easy for Maguire. It didn't require huge skill from Maguire, just decent reactions, and he, and he puts it away. Um, but... All things considered, the most important outcome from that goal is that I had a same-game multi on, and it, I needed Man United to score. And at that point, I was in. All I needed was the Fulham win. And Fulham win we did. Um, and look, again, we, we sort of mentioned it before when we talked about Adama Traore. What an impact he had when he came on. A really good attacking sub by Silva. Um, and, and there were some interesting sort of tactical changes, and they, they were saying it a lot on the commentary, saying we brought Diop on, um, and that substitution sort of forced Fulham to make a change to their tactics because it was obvious then we are playing five at the back. 
um, Traore came on for Harrison Reed before Diop had even come on. Um, Tom Kearney came on for Pereira, so Tom Kearney drops back into that role. Traore comes on for Reed, so then um, Reed, well, Traore moved forward, Iwobi had to move out wide, Diop comes on for Wilson, so it, there's a lot of chopping and changing there, and I, I think it felt very much like we bought an Issa Diop to try and hold on to a win and then conceded eight minutes later, and it felt like that was just one of those changes and one of those days where it just didn't work and we should have kept it the same, but Having Traore on the pitch made a massive difference, and this goal is all down to him. He picks up the ball, he beats Ericsson and beats Maguire, tips it around both of them. Maguire, already on a yellow card, can't bring down Traore. I don't know if you saw in the post-match Maguire Mm. saying, I maybe should have taken Traore down there, but I would have got sent off if I'd done that. Um, You know, he was tossing up in his head thinking, geez, should I have actually done that? Because that probably would have been the right thing to do. And that's what Traore does to people. He, he's forcing defenders to think about in, intentionally bringing him down because he's so dangerous. He runs through. At first, I thought, geez, he's cooked this because he's just run too far, but he picks out a ball to Iwobi. And Iwobi's first touch is what does this here. The ball gets played into Iwobi. He touches it with the outside of his foot. And in doing so, changes his direction. And both of the defenders if just fly past him, get completely fooled by that touch at which point he's got the whole goal to shoot at. And you, I don't know, again, if you've seen the post-match interview with Iwobi, Iwobi says, I saw Anana look and set as if he expected me to go to the far post, and I thought I'd just put it at the near post. And he mm. finishes it so well, and Anana is just mm. stuck to the floor, can't move. And, Dad, I, I know you were sat next to me, but, Sammy, when you saw that ball go in, did you think it was a goal? Because the net did not move at all. Mm. I genuinely thought he'd put it wide as he'd done earlier in the first half as well. So it was very tempered celebrations for me because I thought Man United had a goal kick. Mm. I mean, for, for me, I was in a bit of a state of disbelief and just shock. And um, I, I I just I just didn't. It just doesn't happen to us. It's like it's like um it's like the fat kid that gets invited to the prom. I was like I was like I just I just don't believe that this is happening to me. Like, <laughs> and, um, so I it was almost it it took it took me like a half a second, and even on like the replay, I did kind of have a yeah, I did kind of have a is this actually kind of happening? Because I was oh it was it was it was uh, it's, it's a bit of a weird goal. Um, but at the same time just so calm of Iwobi, so so poised. Iwobi was so excellent all game and I just, <laughs> I mean I love uh, Adama Traore's real um, uh, like instructions was just, get the ball and run. <laughs> like That's just what, that's all you need from him and he does it, he does it well. He used that little shot of adrenaline. He, you know, j- Jack, you would know what I'm talking about, but he literally reminds me of that giant um, rocket when you're playing Mario Kart and you're at the back of the line. He can just get you to the front and then just, ah, uh, oh, he's. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, I, I just, I, I just, it's just pure euphoria, isn't it? <laughs> like, I, I don't have words. I think I even understood that Mario reference. Um, I, I actually think it's, it's sort of mildly amusing that that Harry Maguire actually thinks he's got a chance to take uh, Traore down because I think that was a fraction of a second opportunity 
as he flashes past him. Once he's one step ahead of Harry Maguire, he's never catching him. So even an arm swing <laughs> is not going to take him down. So that's bullshit. That that is bullshit. <laughs> I I think. You know, for him to have processed... I think he could only take him down when Troway was running directly at him. That was the only time he realistically could have taken him down. Because once he got past him, there was no chance. No, never. Um, But Mm. the the, the wonderful thing about this is it's actually the very first time that Troway's done what we want Troway or a player like Mm. him to do. It's the first time. I mean, the poor guy's had a lot of injury problems and whatever, and he hasn't had the opportunities. And to be fair to him, he's picked the ball up pretty deep, and he's actually made that himself because you normally expect him to run onto something oh, yeah. when he comes on late in the game, you know, big ball over the top, and then he runs into space, which we, we kind of haven't done for him either. So absolutely massive, massive props to him for actually creating it from picking the ball up from a, a spillage, really, and he created something out of it completely all on his own. So huge respect to the guy. And, it, look, it's just it's so exciting to have that sort of weird factor in your back pocket. He, he's he's not he, he's not a rubbish oh. footballer. You can't be. Just like Jan, so Dan James. Dan James. No, but, but if, of course it mm. is. But... Neither Dan James or Traore could ever – they're Premier League players. So <clears throat> you don't get to be a Premier League player without having a pretty good standard of, of skill. Um, but, you know, he, he almost – can I say he sort of scuffed it towards uh, – No, it was a perfect pass, don't you? Oh. <laughs> Okay. The thing, the thing I, right. the thing I, the thing I love about it though, the thing I love about it though is like, um, like Iwobi, uh, sorry, not Iwobi, um, Traore. There is only really like four players in the world that can do what Traore does. It's killing Mbappe, Dan James, Traore, and uh, my mind escapes me That's for like so not two true, else. <laughs> but <laughs> no, no. In just terms of like, can literally just all they need is a split second, then they can just power through the whole field. And then just outpace absolutely everyone in a really, really intense way. Like it's not even a question, huh? Oh, but not in the I'm same way. Not in the same way. I'll, I'll fight you on that. But that's a different conversation. But even well, okay, okay. Maybe there are a hundred players you can do that, but only um, uh, a couple of players actually can pull it off. And he's definitely one of those. And so to just to be able to see him do what we signed him for and just know that he was actually been put in our squad for a reason and he's actually able to actualize that reason because just because um you sign these players with the intention of doing those things as you said there's hundreds of players who can do it Traore has done it for many seasons with other clubs but he hasn't done it for us yet that much it's just so great to see it I loved it you know, you know, um, I was wondering when he actually came on, as as Marco Silva's talking to him, he's he's putting some white tape, like go faster stripes around his wrist. Did you see that? And I'm I was wondering whether that was some sort of special Mario Kart move that he's got. And um I, I what was all that about? Just keeps his muscles in place. Well, he's ditched ah, the baby okay. oil, so he just yeah, he's ditched the baby <laughs> oil, so he needs something else. I love the I also love the fact that he's the only Fulham player that tucks his shirt in. It's really good. <clears throat> and um, but look, he's he's a he's a class player. He's he's played for Barcelona. He's got over 150 mm. games in the league for Wolves, or pretty much all of them in the Premier League as well. 
uh, and look, you you watch a highlights package of him at his best, and you look at it and go, "Geez, this is the kind of player that you want in your squad." Maybe not starting every week because we know that it's it's mm. AK forty seven style, super raw. Uh, it's 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 yeah, raw ability rather than technique and and well coached play. But you kind of need that sometimes. Someone to just go out there, run hard, play the simple passes at the end of the day. You don't need him trying stepovers or anything interesting like that. He he played really, really well, and I was really happy to see that he mm. contributed to a goal because he's had a tough start to his career with Fulham. He's only played seven games for us so far out of the sort of 30 we've played when you include all the cup games. And that's mainly through injury. Jack. And uh, I think everyone – go on. What, what, what's his age? How old is he? He's 28, Ooh. just turned 28. Yeah. Um, so he's got a, a good couple of years left in him. And I, I think, you know, when do sprinters hit their top pace? It's it's probably around this age in the next oh. couple of years. He's saying Bolt was Definitely. breaking records at this this age. So it's not like he's going to start dropping off and lose his greatest asset anytime soon. Yeah. It's about now how we actually make the most of it and and keep him sort of pushing further and further and make him part of the squad and and help the rest of the team understand how to play with him as well. I think that's been a big issue that I've seen when he's come off the bench previously. We're not putting those balls in behind for him to chase. We're not really like creating that space for him to run into. And you see it in the goal. He beats Harry Maguire and all of a sudden that's, you know, deep, quite deep inside our own half. He picks the ball up. And right. he gets past two players and all of a sudden he runs to the edge of their box and it happens in a handful of seconds. And that's what you want from a player like that, someone who can just mm. drive into a bit of space and create opportunities for you, especially late in the game when the opposition are pretty leggy. And it's a great finish from Awobi. I'm so happy for him because, like we said, copped a lot post-AFCON and it's just great to see him actually have his moment and score the winning goal at Old Trafford. Uh, you know, there's only a handful of players. I think it's seven players in total who've scored goals for Fulham in wins at Old Trafford now, and he's one of them. So it, it's it's a, a great result for Fulham, a really, not just a great result, but a great performance from Fulham. I think that's almost the more pleasing mm. thing. It's great to get the win, but the, the way in which we won this game was just as important, I think, as the actual victory itself. Um. Let's take a quick look at the stats from the game. I don't think they actually tell the full picture because if you looked at the stats at halftime, it showed Fulham absolutely dominating. I think Man United had a lot of late possession in this game and a lot of their shots on goal came, again, very late in this game. Um, Man U with 57% possession to Fulham's 43, 21 shots to Fulham's 17. Man U had nine shots on goal to Fulham's five, 537 passes to Fulham's 400. Man U, 10 corners to Fulham's 9 and 6 fouls to Fulham's 11 fouls. Fulham again picking up 5 yellow cards. Maybe becoming a little bit of an issue, our discipline. Um, you don't really like seeing us pick up. I think we picked up 7 in the game before. We picked up 9 in this game. Oh, sorry, 5 in this game. So I think uh, we could be yeah hitting double figures over the last couple of games. Uh, a little bit worrying for me. But um, hey, a win's a win. Uh, let's have a quick look at the league table. Fulham still sitting in 12th. I think we've been in 12th spot for feels like seven or eight weeks because I copy and paste this league table in every week and Fulham constantly sit in 12th place. I don't have to change the shading at all. 
Um, we now have a four-point buffer over Palace and Bournemouth, although Bournemouth do have a game in hand, uh, sitting seven points ahead of Brentford, who also have a game in hand. More importantly, we're now 12 points clear of Luton, who are sitting in the relegation zone, um, 11 points clear of Everton, who are just out of the relegation zone. So we're opening up that bit of a buffer now with 12 games to go. A um, little bit of work to do to climb up the table, but when you look at the teams above us in Chelsea, West Ham and Wolves, I think their position potentially flatters them this season. I don't think they've been as good as their position sort of says they are. Um, Wolves have had a couple of scrappy wins recently and continue to get over the line, but they really struggled against Sheffield last night. Um, West Ham have to be one of the worst teams I've seen at the Cottage this season when we thumped them 5-0. And Chelsea, I mean, yes, they get wins, but I don't think they're as good a team as we are at the moment, to be perfectly honest. I think we're playing much better Chelsea football than they famous. are. And look, I, I think it's possible that that could be very different at the end of the season. I, I think with a long way still to go, um, I, I could definitely see us overtaking Chelsea at some point. And uh, look, we, we do have uh, a few tough games to go before the end of the season. But at the end of the day, when you look at what we've done this season in taking three points off Man United at Old Trafford, beating Arsenal, pushing Liverpool the whole way, beating Tottenham. I don't really fear any teams this season. I don't know about you guys, mm. but realistically for both of you, how high do you think we can climb for the rest of the year with 12 games to go? I think um, the teams from 7 to 11, so it's Brighton, uh, Wolves, Newcastle, West Ham, Chelsea, Dutton. I, I think we're on their heels. I really do. Um, it, it, it probably requires us to not just you know, beat every team below us. But we, we, we need to actually probably pull off uh, a couple of wonder games here. We probably need to beat a Tottenham and maybe maybe Brighton uh, mm. to really change our fortunes. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, that's, that's, that's a, there's a lot of work to be done uh, for us to fire up that that uh, top half of the table. But it, it seems completely possible for me for us to end around 10th. Yeah, no, of course it's completely possible. Um, I, 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 I think we're probably going to finish either 11th or 12th. I just, I just want to be above Chelsea. I hate when Chelsea are above us, especially, especially in these past couple of years when Chelsea have been shit. Like, I... I don't. It's uh, that's that's irking me. Is oh, it's within it's within four points as well. So that's 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 so achievable. Yeah. That's so achievable. To, to me, uh, Wolves and West Ham are absolute imposters up there. Uh, no, well, yeah. Neither of those yeah. two have actually impressed me. I mean, but that Brighton, one last. obviously, yeah. And and, I, and in I a way, the thing you... with Wolves and West Ham is they beat all those teams from fourteenth down which is kind of what we did last season. We were really good against mm. those bottom teams and we we took six points before. That's sort of fallen down a little bit this season. Is uh, we, we probably pick up a few too many. Definitely had a negative. You guys still we're there? You there. We... Um, I'm not sure who we've lost, but it seems like, we either lost you or, or you back. lost us. We're back. Are we? <laughs> I think, think we're you, back. Jack. Yeah, potentially. 
Um, anyway, what I was going to say is our, our next six games are actually incredibly key. We play Brighton at home, then Wolves away, Tottenham at home, and then Sheffield United away. And then we play Forest away and Newcastle at home. And if you look at the table there, Brighton, Wolves, um, and Newcastle are all in that little group above us. And then games against Forest and Sheffield United are, are sort of must-win games down at the bottom of the table. We'd expect us to pick up six points. But if we do pick up wins against let's say Brighton and Wolves, we really do put ourselves right in the mix up the top of the table. Not the top of the table, but in that sort of pushing for European spots because seventh place does pick up a European spot this season, potentially even eighth place does, depending on who wins cups Mm. at the end of the year. So there is a bit of an opportunity for us to actually move up the table and finish a little bit higher than we were kind of expecting a few weeks ago and, and really put a bit of a run on here and I think that's what we need is a couple of good results over the next couple of weeks and look next game we'll, we'll touch on it very briefly Brighton this weekend um, one thing to mention is this Brighton team has a lot of injury problems at the moment uh, and at a suspension to Billy Gilmore who got uh, ruled out with a red card on the weekend they're missing Jao Pedro who's been very good for them this season Solly March is out uh, James Milner's out Karen Matoma might come back, but we'll probably start from the bench if he does. Um, it, it's it's a very weakened Brighton side, and I think we're starting to see them slide a little bit when you start to look at their recent results. Sam, Sam and Dad, how do you feel going into the game on the weekend, especially after this uh, win? Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually at home. Um, I'm very up for this. I think I think I I definitely expect points out of this game, if not a win. I think we can. I think we, we can a, absolutely. We got, weirdly, we got a weirdly good record against Brighton, so um, I will be. I will be sitting there with my pipe and in my silk robe, um, ready, ready to potentially enjoy. I mean, I could be horribly mistaken; it could all go wrong. But you know, what? I'm still running off the heart in a Man U game, so uh, yeah. Mooney's is going to score again. Could get a brace, and uh, Sasa Lukic, you know. Jao's on the beach at the moment, smoking a pipe, and going to be well rested, and uh, we're going to be fine. It's not a pipe yeah, reference today. We're unbeaten in our last seven against uh, Brighton. Uh, I think they're the only times we've ever played them in the Premier League as well. So Brighton have never beaten us in the Premier League. Um, three wins and yeah. four draws for Fulham. So we do have a good record against them, especially at home as well. Um, we had the 2-1 win uh, last season, uh, a 0-0 draw and a 4-2 win. Um, you know, the only ones I can think of is that first season back in the Premier League where Mitro had that weird handball and gave away a penalty that cost us mm. um, cost us a win. That was a 2 all draw that day. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I think we do regularly play very well against Brighton. I'm looking forward to this one because I think it could be a chance for another three points and an important three points. Because if we can take out three points here, we're on a very good run at that point. I think um, we had that loss to Villa, but we were before that we were three games unbeaten. So um, we, we're four wins from our last five, um, including a win away at Old Trafford. It feels like a time to really, you know, rally the troops and say, guys, we're on a run here. We're a couple more wins and we're basically guaranteed Premier League safety and we can just look forwards. Because I know that's what Marco was saying last season was let's get to that special 40-point mark. And admittedly, I'd be two more wins takes us to 38 points. But 
if we can get to that 38-point mark, which I think will be enough to be safe this year, from there it's just looking up and forwards, and you can really get stuff to happen at that point. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No further comment. No. Right. Yep. <laughs> that means that that means it's a good point. Um, right, guys. I think we can probably wrap it up there. Um, we've got uh, a few things happening in the background at the moment at that. So Craven with some, hopefully some new faces joining us over the next few weeks, and uh, we'll be announcing some more information on that in the coming weeks. Uh, so do keep an eye out on our Twitter on our YouTube. Uh, on our Facebook as well, which we occasionally use. Um, we will definitely be sharing the news there and um, hopefully see a few new faces joining us as well to um, extend the the Fulham family. Um, Colm on our live stream asks uh, about the Fulham ladies. Colm, we, well, we'll touch on it very briefly. The Fulham ladies had a very good win against uh, Crawley yesterday, a 1-0 victory with Georgia Heesman, the goal scorer. Um, we've got some news on that. We're hoping to... Uh, get some more detailed match reports with someone at the ground giving us uh, a better rundown of what actually happened in the games going forward. So hopefully we'll be able to release something about that soon and be able to cover the games in a little bit more depth than we've been able to do so previously. Um, so, guys, thank you very much for joining me today. I've been down with COVID, so it's nice to actually um, get up and do something a little bit different with my day. Um, Sammy, thanks for for hopping on tonight. Thank you very much for having me. My internet connection has been so poor this entire time, but it's been um, offset by the joy that it was to do this podcast and just have a nice hour of appreciation for such a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you for having me. Lovely. And thank you, Dad. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good effort tonight, Jack. Uh, uh, we were actually going to go out yesterday and uh, everyone was dropping like flies. Um, so well done for making it today. And uh, yeah, look, uh, put it put it in the calendar. I think um, this is a weekend we will talk about over and over for a very, very long time to come. Uh, you know, drink it in because these moments for Fulham don't come so often and it's a special one so really really enjoyed talking about it and uh uh yeah thanks for having me yeah it, it is a, a really special a special moment for all fulham fans i think and like you said one that we'll remember i remember having the 3-1 scoreline picture of the scoreboard at old trafford on my wall don't think i'll put one up on my wall for the 2-1 scoreline because i'm a little bit older than i was back then but um, definitely one that I will remember fondly for a very long time. So thank you again to everyone who's joined in on the live stream and everyone who listens along regularly. We really appreciate it and hope you enjoy some of the new stuff we've got coming in the next couple of weeks. And as always, come on, you whites. Come on, you whites.